Well, it's great to see you guys this week, and thanks for joining us here at Grace Online. I'm always grateful that you take the time to, to tune into these broadcasts and hope that you find them helpful. Uh, we're in a conversation right now that we're calling the next little thing, and we're asking this question, what if our next big thing is actually a little thing? And does God work like that? And we started to see last weekend that he does. That often God uses little things and causes them to grow into big things. Now, I want to introduce you to a conversation this weekend about a quality of God. And so a characteristic of God. And this is a quality of God or characteristic of God that's very true of him. And that he would also want his followers to pick up and kind of reflect in their their own lives. And so if you're a Christ follower, uh, this is going to help us kind of know what God would want. If you're not a Christ follower yet, then this may help God make sense a little bit. And maybe even some Christians too, where, where you would look at them and say, why are they doing that? Or why are they not doing that? And, and what, what would motivate them in that way? And it all might stem from this characteristic or this quality of God that we're going to talk about here for a few minutes. So I want to show you something out of Galatians chapter 5. So in Galatians chapter 5, uh, we find something called the fruit of the Spirit. So, so the Bible would say this, that when, when we accept Jesus as our Savior, the Spirit of God lives within us. And the fruit of the Spirit is the result or the byproduct of the Spirit or the work of the Spirit in us. So God says the fruit of the Spirit shows up like this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I want to talk about this idea of long-suffering. The newer translations use this word forbearance. The older English translations use this old English word called long-suffering. And I actually like that older word. So that's the one we're going to use here. We're going to talk about what does it mean to be a long-suffering person and how is God long-suffering. So let me just define it for you. Here's a working definition for us, right? So long-suffering, showing up in a Christ follower's life is this idea, it's patient endurance and perseverance through a situation marked by self-control and a teachable spirit. So long-suffering is patient endurance and perseverance through a, a situation marked by self-control and a teachable spirit. And God would look and say, I want my people to be long-suffering People, I want them to be patient as they go through a situation. So we're in a situation. We don't even necessarily understand the situation, right? We're, we're not really sure how it's going to play out. But when I'm in that situation, I am recognizing that God is sovereign. He didn't lose control, but in his plan, he placed me in this situation. I'm going to look and say, I want to be used by God in this situation so that the frustration, the pain, the inconvenience, I'm going to be patient and endure and, and persevere through it because I believe God is doing something through the circumstances around me. And I'm going to trust that God is working in ways that I can't see. 
So I'm going to be self-controlled and I'm going to be teachable. God's working in my life in ways that I may not see or understand. And God's working in the world around me in ways that I cannot see or understand. So I'm going to be patient, persevering, self-controlled, teachable, have endurance, or long-suffering. And I'm going to long-suffer through that, that situation, right? Now, when I say all that, if you're a thinking person and you hear me describe long-suffering and you hear me say God wants us to be people who, uh, who are willing to long-suffer, that, that sounds a lot like, hey, when, you're, when life isn't the way that, you don't, that you, you don't want it to be, you should kind of suck it up and not question God, right? That's kind of what that sounds like a little bit. Like just who are you to question God and life's tough, get over it, and, and God's going to do what he's going to do. And, and I, I recognize that that's the way that that feels a little bit, but that's actually not the message or the characteristic of long-suffering. That's not what God's saying. He, he's wanting something deeper and something richer and something more powerful through it all. So I want to I want to try to show you this a little bit and then help you do some math around it as we wrestle with the why. Why would God want us to be long-suffering people and why would he have us go through processes like that? So one of my favorite stories in the Bible is, is the Battle of Jericho. So if you've got a Bible, maybe grab yours and open it up to Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. Or if you just want to use your phone or your device or whatever, if you're on the app, this will all be right there on the app. But Joshua chapter 6 is where we find the Battle of Jericho. So I'll just frame it up for you super duper quick. Joshua is the leader of God's people. So after Moses, a guy named Joshua kind of took over the leadership of the nation of Israel. They're going into what's called the Promised Land, the very first city that they have to conquer and push through in order to conquer the promised land is the city of Jericho, okay? So Joshua goes up in the nation of Israel, about maybe a million to three million people, like tons of people go up into the city uh, and Jericho is surrounded by these huge thick walls and God decides to interact with Joshua in this really unique way. So he, he talks to Joshua and he says this in verse one of chapter six of Joshua chapter six. He says this about Jericho. He says, now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went in or came out. Verse two, then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carrying trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army uh, give a large shout and the walls of the city will collapse and the army will go straight in every one of them. So God gives this weird instruction to J Joshua. He says, listen, Joshua, I know you're a general. I know you got an army. I know you guys are ready to fight, but we're going to tackle this one differently. What I want you to do is go up to Jericho, 
take the army up there, but take the pastors and like the band with you. March around the city once a day for six days in a row. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times. Have the band start. When they start, the, the walls of Jericho will come down and then rush in and conquer the city, right? So it's this really powerful story. It's kind of a famous story, and, and you see it a lot. And, and what jumps out to me about this story is actually verse 2 of chapter 6. This is what it says. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. God starts with that. Before he says, walk around it six times, and then on the seventh day, seven times. Before he says about the band and take the priests and the pastors with you. The very first thing that God opens up with is, Joshua, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. Right? So God starts with this premise that the work of Jericho is kind of done. Joshua, I'm done. I've already decided that you're victorious. I've already decided that you're an overcomer. I've already decided that circumstances can't defeat you. Now that decision being made, what I want you to do is go walk in circles for seven days. And you gotta look at that story and you gotta think, why? What, if it's already done and the victory is declared and God has already decided why are they walking in circles? What's the point of walking in the circles? And I tell you, as you study this, it, it gets confusing and you're not going to get a satisfactory answer. So when you research this, some scholars will say, well, Israel was offering Jericho a peace offering. And if they all would have like repented and turned to God, then none of this would happen. And maybe, Right. Uh, some scholars would say it was a proclamation that, that God wanted the people of Jericho to know that they were dealing with the one true God. So he wanted them to be, to be certain about it. So he made sure that his name was proclaimed for seven days. Others say it's clarification that, that God wanted to be sure that nobody could look and say, yeah, there was just an earthquake while the Israelite army was there and the walls fell down and that's how we lost. He wanted to make sure that it was clarification that that's what was really happening. But he never really answers the question. In fact, what he does is fascinating. He compounds the confusion. So he says, I walk around and do that for seven days. On the seventh days, the walls will fall down, go in and conquer the city. And then almost like on the, on the B side, he, he throws in this little note and he says, he says this. He says, by the way, when, when you go in there, I, I want you to purify the city, every living thing, except the most impure thing. So I want you to purify, I want you to take out every living thing, man, woman, child, every living animal, and the only thing I want you to leave is the most impure person, and that's a prostitute, verse 22 Chapter 6, Joshua, Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house, bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, sisters, all who belonged to her. 
they brought out the entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of of Israel. Verse 25, Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all belonged to her because she hid the, the, the men Joshua had sent to spy on Jericho and she lives among the Israelites today. So, so there's this big declaration in verse 2, right? Joshua, the city's delivered into your hands. The king and its armies, don't worry about it. You should walk in circles for seven days. And then Joshua, when the walls come down, you go in and you wipe out everything, purify the city, except the least pure person there. Hang on to her and her family. And it, it's bewildering. Why would God do all of that? And why is that the process that God would have people go through? Now, remember, we're talking about long-suffering. Long-suffering, patience, endurance, self-control, faithfulness, trust. All these ideas wrapped around long suffering okay why did joshua when you look at this why did joshua have to wait seven days for the lord to do what he said he had already decided to do and if you looked at me and asked me that question and said pastor jeff reverend bogue dr bogue tell me why did that have to happen that way why did they have to walk in circles i would say to you i don't know i don't really know and Joshua certainly didn't know. I don't know. If you looked at me and said, Pastor Jeff, Dr. Bogue, Reverend Bogue, tell me why God purified the whole city. Why is the prostitute of higher value than like this guy over here? Why is that? I would look at you and I would say, I know the answer to that one, but Joshua didn't. Joshua couldn't have known that. But we actually know the answer to that one because God brings it up again in the New Testament. He says this in Matthew chapter 5. This is the, the genealogy of Jesus, so the descendants of Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 1, that genealogy is being played out. When you get to verse 5, it says Solomon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. That's Rahab the prostitute. Boaz was the father of Abimadad, whose mother was Ruth. Abimadad was the father of Jesse, and the line of Jesus goes on. So we can look back now, kind of in 2020 hindsight, and we can see that's why the weird prostitute thing was there, but Joshua didn't know that. And we can look back on, they walked in circles for seven days, and I don't know the answer to that one. These scholars are guessing. They may be educated guesses, but they're guesses nonetheless. If God was in it, and God had decided it, and God had subscribed it, he said, this is what I want you to do. Why did they have to walk in circles? Have you guys ever heard the, you ever heard the idea or the term, trust the process? You ever had somebody say that to you? Trust the process? Right? You, you'll hear that in, uh, in athletics a lot. You'll hear, you'll hear a coach say, guys, I'm putting in this new offense or defense or whatever it is, and I need you to trust the process. Uh, sometimes you'll hear this um, when it comes to like medical stuff. 
where you're, you're talking to your doctor and, and you might say, listen, doc, how long is this going to take? And, and he or she may say some version of, like, trust the process. It just has to play out over time. But are you familiar with that term, that idea of trust the process? Trust the process is this idea where somebody is looking at you or looking at me, and, and what are they actually saying? What they're actually saying is, trust me. Trust me. I, I, have, a, I have a wisdom that, that you don't have. So, so trust me. I've been, I've been coaching for 30 years, and I got two state championships. Trust me. Uh, I have a knowledge that is beyond your knowledge. I, I, I'm, I've been a doctor for a long, long time. Trust me. That sometimes it just takes longer than you want it to. Trust me. When somebody says trust the process, what they're really saying is trust me. And this is the idea around long-suffering. Why would God want us to be long-suffering? And when I'm embracing the concept of long-suffering, what am, I, what, what am I doing with God? Is God looking at me and saying, hey, I decide what I'm going to do, but I just want you to spin in circles for a while because I thought it'd be funny to make a cool Bible story. Or is God saying, hey, I have a wisdom that you don't have. I have experience that you don't have and maybe I even have a goal or a, a process that you don't understand and if you would endure, be patient, be self-controlled, if you would go through this process with me, if you would embrace the process, if you'd be teachable in the process, if you would not just react to the circumstances, but navigate through the process. I want to do something that, that you don't quite get. It's fascinating when you think about the, the Battle of Jericho, because it, it really is one of the most famous things in, in like the whole Bible, right? The Battle of Jericho. And, and uh, lots and lots of people know about it. There's songs about it. You know, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. I won't dance anymore because I know you're eating breakfast, but like, like we hear songs about that, right? There's artwork. There's this beautiful artwork, these masterpieces of Joshua marching around the battle of Jericho, and we hear about the walls come tumbling down. There's, a, there's veggie tales. That's how you know you made it when you get your own veggie tales and the grapes of wrath who never take a bath are on top of the walls of Jericho, right? It's a, it is hands down one of the top three or four most famous stories in the whole Bible and even in the world and it's the walls of Jericho that come tumbling down. But it's fascinating because on the surface, that's what you would talk about. The big thing, the band and the army and the pastors and the circles and the walls came tumbling down. But it's interesting to do a little bit of God math on it. I did a little study on this. When God talks about the walls of Jericho coming down in Joshua chapter 6, he uses 107 words to talk about that. He, 107 words out of the whole Bible to describe it. 
When God talks about the salvation of Rahab, he uses 86 words in Joshua chapter 6. So the big, big thing, the walls of Jericho, 107 words. The other thing, 86 words. But this is where it gets fascinating. God also talks about Rahab in Matthew chapter 1. He also talks about Rahab in Hebrews chapter 11. He also talks about Rahab in James chapter 2. God speaks far more about Rahab than he does the walls of Jericho. God illustrates through Rahab's life in much broader ways than he, than he illustrates through the walls of Jericho tumbling down. God praises the faith of Rahab way more then he amplifies the story of his power through the walls of Jericho coming down. In God's mind, the big thing, the walls coming down, was actually the little thing. And the little thing, save the most impure person there, was the big thing. The next big thing was the little thing. And God worked that little through that process, that B-side story. In many ways, in a, in a much more powerful and dynamic way than he worked through the marquee story or the highlight story. Right? Why didn't God just do it? You ever think about that? Why didn't God just knock down the walls of Jericho and, and forget circling with the band? I don't know. Or if, if the big thing is actually the little thing, if it's all about Rahab... Why, when the spies went in, why didn't they just grab Rahab and take her and her family out and leave Jericho alone? What, what's up with the whole Jericho thing? I don't know. Why does God ask us to long suffer? I don't really know. I don't really know. And that's a little bit frustrating, right? Because you, you, you would tune in to a service like this and, and watch Jeff online with the hopes that I would know these things, right? I'm sitting here, I'm like, I don't know. You know all your friends are like, your pastor's lousy. He doesn't know anything. Where did he get his doctorate from? And by the way, it took me many, many cereal boxes to get my doctorate, so don't rip on me. <laughs> but I don't know. I'm just being honest with you. I don't know. And God doesn't say all the reasons why. He doesn't lay out all of his details. He looks at Joshua and then us and says, what I want from you is long-suffering. I want you to suffer long. I, I want you to go through a process that I've defined, that I've determined, and that I have set in motion. And to be honest with you, I... I can't defend the process. I don't have those answers. But I also can't deny the outcome. See, it worked. Israel had a great victory and took a bunch of the promised land. Rahab was spared and the line to Jesus was kept open and it was credited to her as righteousness and her faith was credited to her as righteousness, Hebrews chapter 11. So I can't defend the process. I can't, I can't say that I understand why I have to long suffer. But I can't deny the outcome that God works in powerful ways through it. I wrote this in my notes. 
in times when questions are abundant and answers are unclear, God empowers his people with long-suffering. In times when questions are abundant, do we live in times where questions are abundant? Why? How come? How long? How am I ever? In times when questions are abundant and the answers are unclear, when's it over? What about the economy? Is there school in the fall? Am I ever going to place work? And questions are unclear. I want you to catch this. Ready? Look at me. Dial in. Look at your phone. Look at your screen. Look at me. God empowers his people to long suffer. It's a fruit of the spirit. It's not just a decision of the will. It's not God looking at us and saying, hey, just suck it up, buttercup, and, and do what I tell you to do. That's not what he's doing. It is a quality of God. It is a characteristic of his heart that he brings out or allows to be reflected in his people. Just like joy, just like peace. Long-suffering. And he'll bring it to the forefront. And he asks us to embrace it and allow it to play out in our lives. Now, that sounds uninspiring. It really sounds... When, when, I, when I talk about that or say this is what God would want or, or you don't understand this is the way God's like and he wants that showing up as people, that sounds uninspiring. We're, we're back to that thing of like just get over it and long suffer. Long suffering sounds uninspiring until you see it. And when you see people who are willing to long suffer, it becomes incredibly inspiring. See, When you see an athlete push through and they endure and they strive and they trust their coach and they, it inspires you you would look and say, I, I don't ever want to exhaust myself that way. But when I see somebody else do it, it, it shoots something up. It draws me to that. When you see a marriage that goes 50 plus years, see, it, it, it inspires you. It does something to you. When, when you see a person endure hardship, when you see a soldier that wraps their arms and they, and they go through a battle, it's something you would never want to do. You'd never pick it. But when you see them do it, it inspires you. It, it does something in your spirit. When, when you see somebody hang on to their integrity when they're being persecuted or hang on to their sexual purity when they're being persecuted, it inspires you. It motivates you. It moves you beyond your mind and beyond your emotion on a spiritual level. It moves you. When you look at what Christ endured on the cross... And what he went through and how he would not relent, how he would endure it, how he would suffer through it, how he persevered through it, how he controlled himself through it. See, Long suffering, it's very uninspiring to, to define it. It's incredibly powerful to see it. 
And God would look at his people and say, my spirit brings us out. I, I, want, I want to show people, see. I, I, want to, I want them to see what I'm like. I want them to see my power. I want them to, to see what's going on. I want them to see your faith and your endurance and your trust and your eternal view. And on the surface... You feel like you're walking in circles. But that's not the way I see it at all. I look and say, that's part of the path that I have you on. And if you trust me, and don't lean onto your own comprehension, I'll make that path straight. It feels like a circle. It's not a circle at all. It's a process. It's a process that I'm taking you through. And if you could trust the process, I'll redeem it and use it and work in you in powerful ways. All right. I wanted to give you some things maybe to to grab hold of some handles to look at here. So this is the question. What do we do while we're walking in circles? Three things really quickly. Three little things that can become big things. Here they are. Ready? Number one, we should worship. It's no accident that the band went to the walls of Jericho. That when they went, God used that and interacted with that. Guys, as you're going through these tough times, when your blood pressure's high and you're at the end of the rope homeschooling the kids and you're so frustrated because your senior activities got canceled and you can't see your friends, as you're going through that process, let me tell you, part of how you can long suffer and, and bring that out is by worship. Turn off the television, put down the apps, click off the podcast, walk away from all of the theories about whether what's going on is smart or dumb and walk into the presence of God. And when God goes before you in a battle, it calms your spirit and it strengthens you. A little step is start to, start to worship and make it a priority. Here's a second little step. Follow. It's no mistake that the pastors went into, right? The pastors went into. And so we're looking at, at what God is doing. And that's what the priests represented. They represented the leading of the Holy Spirit or the leading of God. And so when I'm walking in circles, instead of just looking and saying, I'm stuck here walking in these dumb circles, look and say, God, as I'm circling this wall, what else do you want me to see? Holy Spirit, what is the relationship? What's the text that you should send right now? Who did God just bring to your mind? What's the prayer that you should pray right now? Who did God just bring to your mind? What's the relationship that you should energize or check in on right now? Who did the Holy Spirit just bring to your mind? So when you're walking in circles, you're not killing time. You're participating in the process. And we follow God in that process. And then the last thing I would say is this, is be prepared. That's what God told the, the people uh, of Israel. He said, take the fighting men. When that wall comes down, be ready to run in there. See, the wall is going to come down eventually. Long-suffering has a, a, a kind of a timeline to it. Circumstances are going to change again. 
And so part of what I do is I prepare as I'm walking through that's, that army's doing everything from, from getting in shape by being on a march to looking for weak points and how they're going to get in to how they're going to strategize the victory. And so you can be preparing for the next little thing that God has in place. But you don't waste time while you're walking in circles. You get ready while you're walking in circles. And God would look at us and say, guys, when you think like this, this is what long-suffering looks like. It's not just you looking and saying, God, get me out of this. And it's not looking and saying, well, I'll just sit here and let life happen to me. God would look and say, I have you here for a reason. Trust me. Persevere. Endure. Be self-controlled. Be teachable. I have you in this situation because it's where I want you. Trust the process. And instead of looking for the big thing, God, when are you going to knock these walls down? Look for the little thing. God, why would you have me do this one weird thing? Why is that on my heart, on my mind, or in front of me right now? And God might look and say, this is the process, and this is how it plays. And my people trust me in this. And when we long suffer, right, people see it, it affects them, it changes them, it, 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 it's, it reflects me. I am a patient, enduring, persevering God. And it is me working. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's not a condition of circumstance. It's a fruit of the Spirit. So I'm allowing God to, ta- to teach me, to change me, to mold me as I go through this time. Right? Guys, it's been a long journey, hasn't it? 60 plus days now we've been on some version of stay at home. And things are starting to change. We're starting to see a little bit of light at the end of this tunnel. And I'm excited about that. I'm excited about June and having our in-person meetings uh, beginning to fire up over the month of June. I'm excited about the freedom that I, in my life and in your life. And, and we're right there, right? We're right there. And God is working. And we want to trust that and participate in that and allow him to produce long-suffering within us. Would you pray with me? Jesus, love you. Help us. Strengthen us. Make yourself famous and known through us. Give us wisdom as we follow you and enforce and nurture and bring out long-suffering for our benefit and for your glory. Thank you for all of it, Jesus, in your name. Amen.